Advancing Research Podcast Takeover with me, Lisa Walker, Campaigns Leader, NC UK. Our new Advancing Research campaign is all about funding and supporting quality research that will help those with neuroendocrine cancer both today and in the future. And in this podcast, we talk all things research. I'm really delighted today to be joined by Mr. Samuel Ford, a consultant surgeon specializing in net surgery, general and upper gastrointestinal surgery, and sarcoma surgery. He is also the Research Committee Chair of the UK and Ireland Neuroendocrine Tumor Society, also known as UK INETS. Hello, Mr. Ford. Hello, Lisa. Thank you for uh, inviting me along to the, the, the podcast. Um, I'm very pleased to be here and to try and answer um, any questions that you may have as, as best I can. Brilliant. No, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to talking about uh, research with you today and hearing from uh, hearing your experience. And I suppose... Um, just to start with, I should probably ask, why is it so important to do research? Why, why is this something we should do? Yes, and I think in, in terms of neuroendocrine cancers, they're, they're very rare cancer types. And um, care is increasingly being centralised, which gives a great opportunity to facilitate research because we see a, a large number of patients essentially with a, a rare cancer type. So we are able to collect data, we can recognize patterns, we can develop expertise in management, we can build collaborations with other specialist centers. And so can it simply research allows us to improve outcomes. Uh, we can give an earlier diagnosis, improve treatments, improve quality of life. And perhaps most importantly of all, we can try and reduce potential harm from treatment as well. Okay, wow, that, that um you know, that shows, I suppose, just how important research is. Those, I suppose, are the changes that we're all hoping to make, both obviously those with the condition, but also um, yourself as part of the team that, you know, works from the kind of professional side. Um, And it's interesting because you touched on, um, obviously, for neuroendocrine tumours in particular. And would you, we we kind of suffer in this area from there being a lack of awareness about, you know, neuroendocrine cancer across the board. And so there tends to be less research done. Is that something um, you kind of see? And would you say there's almost a need for even more research in this area because of that? Lisa, thanks. It's such a complicated question, this, and very kind of highly, highly nuanced, I suppose, um, which, of course, is why you've asked that question in the first Absolutely. place. Um, and, and I suppose on a, on a whole population basis, one could argue that um, in, in times of limited resource, then concentrating on more common cancers perhaps brings the most benefit to the, the greatest number of patients. But that argument kind of falls down quite rapidly on, a, on an individual basis or when you're looking at patients who have rare conditions and they're just as entitled to receive care um, that gives them the best possible outcomes as those patients with you know, more common kind of cancer types such as colorectal cancer or breast cancer, which we hear you know, a lot about in, in the news. And there's no doubt that research into rare cancers lags hugely behind. It's it's underfunded and disadvantaged in in the extreme. And uh, part of the problem here is that it it costs the same amount of money, for instance, or perhaps more money to develop a a drug for a rare cancer um, as it does for more common cancer types. And therefore, um, industry is very unlikely to to support um, grants 
funding proposals on that basis because the return is so much less for them. It just simply isn't economically viable. Uh, and, and so research into rare cancer types normally is kind of repurposing older drugs or trying to retrofit newer drugs to target a pathway within a particular cell type, for instance, that we know may, may exist in neurodegenerative cancers, but that drug hasn't specifically been designed for them. So we can try and apply that. Um, and of course, the other thing that holds us back is the, the, the rarity and the relatively kind of indolent nature of neurodegenerative tumours, which makes it very difficult to, to power a study. And by that, I mean to, to gain enough patients in order to give a kind of definitive outcome on, on whether, for instance, a drug works or, or doesn't. So we have to be collaborative and it's all about being collaborative all of the time. We have to work together. We have to be pragmatic. We have to rely quite heavily on retrospective data. So looking back in, into the past to see what happened um, and also be kind of creative on how we use statistics to try and help give that definitive answer to the question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that was a brilliant answer because you're right, it, it really is a complex area. It's not necessarily a straightforward question. Um, and I think you're right, I think collaboration and just being practical and kind of trying to do the most that we can in the area is really important um, and ultimately will kind of help those with the condition. Um, if we move on, I suppose, a bit more to kind of just some of your personal experiences with research. And I'm just interested to know, how, how did you become interested in research in the first place? What kind of sparked it? <laughs> yeah, uh, again, a fairly kind of tricky, tricky question, Lisa. You're good at pulling these ones out of the hat. Um, so I, I suppose it's you know it's a real great privilege to to work with patients with rare cancer types, and it is ent endlessly interesting. And the treatment that we provide is largely bespoke. So you know, from our side of things, no, nothing is ever the kind of same. So there's no kind of routine care that we provide, which it keeps us very much interested in the, in the, in the whole process. But as, you know, as part of providing a specialist service for, for patients with rare cancers, we, we do amass some expertise and also we can collate quite a lot of data on, on looking at outcomes of interventions. And, and therefore, I, you know, I feel that I have a moral and also kind of professional obligation really to, to, to utilize that data to improve outcomes for patients through research. And, you know, I, I very much enjoy the kind of challenge of trying to answer difficult questions through being creative, um, designing the study, working collaboratively, both with colleagues, but also, and perhaps most importantly here, working with patients to help guide what they think is important and, and, and really just try and give us an idea on the acceptability of the study that we're, we're proposing, because it's all about recruitment. If you can't recruit patients because they don't think it's, it's worthwhile, then you know, the, the, the study will fail from the, from the outset. No, absolutely. Um, and I suppose, yeah, you're, you're in a really interesting place where, as you say, there isn't necessarily kind of one routine way of doing care, and, but you get to see it all. And I suppose then, as you say, kind of spot the patterns and, and what seems mm -hmm. to work well in an area. Um, do you have a, like a specific area that you focus on in your research? Yeah, so Lisa, I'm, I'm a surgeon. So my kind of whole kind of bent really on, on research is, is mainly kind of surgical. Um, and for me, I spend quite a lot of my time trying to, to set up this, this um, study, um, looking at the role of surgery, essentially to remove the primary tumour and associated mesentery nodal disease. So tumour that's gone to the, the lymph nodes around the blood supply to the bowel. 
um, in the presence of, of liver metastases, so spread to the liver that we can't necessarily remove. So we can't cure these patients, but we don't know whether operating on them brings benefit um, or not in terms of extending um, their period of time uh, that they have um, in terms of overall survival, but also quality of life. Um, and we also just want to try and reduce the potential harm of surgery uh, when they may have done just as well without our intervention. And uh, the, the other part is liver transplantation for neuroendocrine tumors, um, which we've developed uh, a national MDT for with the support of all of our colleagues uh, around the country. Um, and as part of that, we're, we're looking at a, a data set which looks back in time, so retrospective data, to, to try and look at the longer term outcome trends for small bowel neuroendocrine tumors and also pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. Okay. Oh, wow. I mean, I suppose my, my first question for surgical research is obviously partly, um, I suppose, what is it? But also, how do you, when you're doing surgery for the first time, as it were, um, or, or is it, is it that you're doing, you've got a new idea for surgery and it's the first time, or is it that it's a, a technique that's used in another area or kind of where do you get the idea from? How does it start? Yeah, I suppose, Lisa, there's, there's nothing kind of new under the sun as, as such. And, you know, it's particularly so in operating because there's only really kind of so much one one can do operatively. Um, and I think it's, it's all about refining technique. Um, so just improving and developing the way in which we approach tumours to try and get, for instance, clearance of, of the tumour, but to try and temper that with not causing too much in the way of morbidity, so um, kind of potential harms of, of surgery, um, but also trying to work out who, who benefits most from surgery, if at all. And uh, I suppose, you know, as surgeons, what we want to do is operate on people because we think it brings benefit and because we enjoy doing it as well otherwise we we wouldn't be um surgeons but we just need to be a little bit careful that we're, we're not operating on patients who perhaps will not derive benefit from it so it's all about honing um the the population of patients that we think will benefit and and that's really the kind of crux of, of, of my research and how how do you do that how are you able to perhaps identify patients that may get more benefit than another patient? Yeah, and this is a, a kind of tricky question, really, in that uh, patient population is really quite broad. So um, one, for instance, may see a, a patient who's particularly kind of young or fit, um, or a patient who has a lot of comorbidity, so could, could have diabetes, for instance, or overweight, or their tumour is a little bit more advanced. And the, the natural inclination would be very much towards operating on the patients that we think would do well. Um, but we need to be careful that we're not just being kind of selective and, and biased in, in our decision-making and also then kind of pushing that bias onto the patient in terms of kind of giving them a kind of very strong steer in which way we think they should decide. Um, and, and so part of designing studies for, for this kind of problem um, is to try and eliminate that bias as much as possible uh, and that's where randomized control studies come in in which patients are allocated by chance to for instance surgery or or a non-operative approach um, and so that eliminates all of that bias in decision making um, 
but is particularly difficult in, in rare tumor types because generally you need a lot of patients to run a trial um, of, of that design in order to be sure that you're going to answer the question. And it needs to be absolutely um, agreeable to the patients as well. Otherwise, no one will sign up to your study. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's good to hear just how much the patients are involved throughout. And of course, that's really important because, as you say, they have to be kind of comfortable and, and willing to go through with it. And then in terms of, um, it's just really interesting hearing you talk, because obviously, I suppose to measure results, you almost need a comparison. Um, and is that where you have similar types of people, whether it's age or comorbidity or fitness level? And as you were saying, some were randomized to have surgery and some didn't. And then you you almost follow them afterwards and see how they do or yeah so you're absolutely right to to the best of your ability or the best of the kind of I suppose the you know that the patients that are available to to the study you need to try and balance the groups so that the intervention group is very similar to the the group that didn't receive the intervention so you can directly compare the outcomes and that's you know, that's really very difficult particularly if you're looking at retrospective data, looking back in the past, because it's full of, of bias for, for a start. But then if you want to look at prospective data, so looking forwards in time, um, then there are generally two ways of doing that. So you can look at what's called um, cohort studies or propensity kind of matching where, for instance, the patients decide what intervention they'd want. And at the end of it, you can try and select characteristics from the, the groups to try and make them similar as possible. Or you can randomize them, randomized control study that we mentioned earlier. Um, and that, that's the kind of gold standard as it were, because uh, over time, if you follow the same inclusion criteria for your study, um, then ran the pure random approach would mean that both groups are pretty much identical at the end of the study, as long as you're able to recruit enough patients to. Okay, and so I suppose actually in terms of um then changing clinical practice, the randomized kind of controlled trials probably are very helpful for you in then knowing kind of what to adopt as normal practice going forward. They're, they're very helpful, but they're very difficult to run in rare tumor types. And, you know, we're fixate, perhaps fixated with randomized control studies, but really they're not the be all and end all of research, particularly for, for, for rare tumor types. And other study designs are quite often much more appropriate. Okay. And as, um, so given, obviously, this is a rare one. So would the, so do you tend to then, I guess, I suppose if you've had an experience of a patient and you did a certain type of surgery and then another patient comes along that's similar, is that generally how it would work more in practice given it's a, a smaller population? Yes, yes, that, that, that's right. So if the patients were to decide, for instance, whether they had surgery or not, and, and as part of that, they enter the study, but the patient, for instance, gets to decide what the treatment will be, whether they want an operation or whether they'd like to pursue a non-operative route. Um, then at the end of that study, we need to, as best we can, match the groups um, together so that we at least have a kind of fairly robust idea that what, what the outcome of the study is, is actually applicable and, and correct. Um, but it is very difficult to do that. And uh, again, you know, patients who um, are fitter and more generally robust, perhaps will be more inclined to have surgery than those who are not. So it, it very much influences the outcome of a, of a study. Yeah. And, and that's why we have to be kind of so creative and 
perhaps kind of you know thoughtful of, of these potential influences on the outcome and make sure that we apply the outcome in a, in a, in a sensible and pragmatic way. That that makes a lot of sense. And just more from the patient's point of view, obviously they're they're very involved throughout the process, but what would their experience be like compared to, I suppose, if they were having um, a more used or common or traditional surgery, would would this feel very different for them or? Um, I think in the the context of a a wider population, I mean, most patients would receive, for instance, their care um, in their local hospital. Um, whereas our, our patients with rare tumour types already have a slightly unusual experience in that they, they can sometimes have to travel quite a long way to come to a specialist centre. So in that regard, it's all, already slightly kind of a, unusual circumstance. Um, and, and then when they come to the specialist centre, there's quite often a lot of different studies going on at the same time. And our aim really would be to recruit pretty much every patient we see to at least one study or, or another. So I, I suppose in that regard, coming to a specialist centre, patients would almost you know, expect to be part of a, of a study because they recognise they've got a rare type of tumour and they recognise that the amount of information about those tumour types is relatively low. Um, and, and therefore, um, the expectation is that you know, they're, they're essentially part of the solution to try and build understanding. Actually, and that's that's a really nice way of putting it as well, to kind of be part of the solution, because I think, you know, people are keen to, you know, further understanding for everyone and learn more about their disease. Um, and actually, that's a really nice way of doing it through Sense of Excellence. Um, you've mentioned a few areas of research that you're currently involved in. Is there anything else happening, I guess, either that you're involved in or just the wider kind of, surgery net arena yeah lisa i mean the the conceptualization of 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 care has has been a huge catalyst for for research for endocrine cancers and in general and and pretty much every kind of part of patient care is 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 being looked at which is of course you know really really good news um the emphasis is it's very much on quality of life so um to make sure that the interventions that we provide are kind of good in general and essentially enhance the patient's lives rather than detract from it, Uh, particularly because our patient group, thankfully, is this kind of like a a long-lived group of patients because achievements in general are are kind of slowly progressive. Um, So it's very unusual from that point of view. So quality of life is absolutely paramount. Um, There's a lot of work going on about um, looking at genetic sequencing of of tumours. And again, we lag behind more kind of common tumours from that point of view. Um, epigenetics, which is um, where we look at the, the kind of product of the genes and see how that product is influenced um, within the environment of the tumour. So you could, for instance, see a genetic mutation looking at a genetic sequencing, but whether that genetic mutation actually translates into anything uh, is a different matter because the, the genes are then kind of heavily influenced by the environment of, of the tumour. So we're very much interested in that. And we're look at, looking at immune response to tumours, looking at which immune cells are within the tumour and how that affects how the tumour behaves and whether it helps to, the tumour to grow, whether whether it kind of restrains the tumour. And also, you know, particularly for small bowel neuroendocrine tumours, the, the gut flora is very interesting. So this is the bowel um, kind of bacteria as such. And, how they interact with with the tumour, do they promote it um, or or do they slow it down? And 
I think you know a point that particularly intrigues me is how you can have multiple tumors within the small bowel. So neuroendocrine tumors are the small bowel, but only one of them has become problematic and decided to start to invade the the bowel wall or spread. So why why should that be? Surely they should all do it or none of them do it. <laughs> Very intriguing. Yeah, actually, that is, it's interesting to hear that just how much research is going on and obviously very, very promising to hear that as well. Um, and it's interesting because just in, in, in your final piece where you're thinking, you know, why does one tumour invade where others don't? I suppose that's so much about research is just increasing our understanding of diseases. So I suppose we understand how things work or don't work and then can hopefully change it. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that observation really has only come around from centralisation of care and operating on a lot of patients with small bowel neuroendocrine tumours, um, I recognise that maybe 10 or 15% of them have multiple primary tumours and one or two of them are invasive. Whereas if I was operating, for instance, in a hospital that doesn't have a kind of centralisation of, of neuroendocrine tumour patients, then maybe I'd operate on one a year and I would never identify that as a, as a pattern and a you know, potential way in which we can look at tumours and compare them really, really is rare to have what, what we term an intra-patient control. So normally we're comparing patients to patients, but if you have multiple primary tumours, you can actually compare the tumours within one individual to each other. So it's a very, very rare kind of circumstance to have that. Yeah, no, actually it really sounds it when you describe it like that. And also, I suppose as well, it just shows how great it is to, to be treated and to be seen at Sense of Excellence and how... Um, you know, again, as you say, it allows you to kind of make the observations that perhaps wouldn't be possible if you weren't seeing as many patients as you are. Um, so I mentioned earlier that you're the research lead at UK INETS. And I just wondered if you could tell us maybe a bit more about that. Is So you mentioned, obviously, a lot of research is happening. Does that all come under the UK INETS umbrella? Or is that separate? Or how does that work? Uh, it's a little bit of both, really. So the, the role of the, the UK INETS research committee is to promote research and and that really comes around through collaboration and that word keeps popping up collaboration and that's because it's so important for us to work together because not one individual can can kind of run a, a trial um, and we need to work together to to develop ideas but also to to recruit enough patients to, to make the study work so we talk about ideas we bounce ideas off each other, what, what we think may work and what will not work. So very important to have like-minded people together. Um, and we promote each other's studies as well. So we'll say, you know, have you heard about this one that's just opened? And then, oh, no, I didn't hear about that. You know, how can I get involved? And that's, you know, it's really, really important to, to, to do that. Okay. Um, and, and part of our role also is to communicate the outcomes of studies to the, the wider neuroendocrine tumour um, Kind of community, so um, helping to communicate outcomes to patients or um, specialists uh, elsewhere, and we can do that either um, verbally or promote, you know, the outcome of papers or um, promote uh, presentations, and also through our, our UK INEX um, website. Okay, yeah, and I suppose that's really important too, because I suppose as and when research happens, it's important that your colleagues are aware of it. Um, and know perhaps a new or a different thing or just a development in understanding. And so I suppose it's that that spreading is, um, yeah, important. Really important. And, and as you know, Lisa, we, we also run an annual grant 
kind of funding um, kind of competition in conjunction with NCUK. Um, and we're you know, really very grateful to NCUK for the, the help in, in, in funding these uh, proposals, which is really designed to select the most promising research proposals. Yeah, no. I mean, it's brilliant to be able to kind of work alongside you in that um, and kind of kind of have your expertise from the kind of healthcare professional point of view um, to make sure that, as you say, we're funding kind of the best research we can and we're looking through it all. Um, so I suppose just my, my last question, really, I suppose. So obviously we've funded research before as NCUK, but our new advancing research campaign is, I suppose, it's slightly more focused, perhaps a bit bolder in some of the things we're trying to achieve. And I guess I just wondered um, what you thought of the campaign. Yeah, I think that kind of attitude really reflects um, the management of neuroendocrine tumour and, and neuroendocrine uh, carcinoma in, in, in general, in that we need to be creative, we need to be bold in order to kind of push the frontiers forward. And I think both as chair of the UKINET's research committee and also as individual kind of clinician and surgeon and undertaking research and care for patients with neuroendocrine tumours, you know, we absolutely fully support the new campaign. It's really very, you know, really very timely. Um, and I think the the um, NCUK is a is a relatively small charity, and absolutely we agree it needs to use its its kind of funds very wide you know very wisely. And I think this idea of a kind of rapid fire, rapid output type study design and support is is really good because it, it brings about almost immediate kind of patient care and 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 change in practice. So that's you know extremely important aspect and. And on the other side of the coin, perhaps, that just to kind of leverage some of the um, NCUK funds to help pump prime larger um, kind of larger projects and bigger questions to attract larger funding streams is is a really important way of, of trying to to really push um, neuroendocrine tumor research. Um, undoubtedly, it's an area of absolutely unmet need. And it's all really there for, for the taking. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, that, and that's what we're obviously hoping to achieve is to kind of support patients, I suppose, today or within 12 months. Um, but as you say, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of the bigger questions, you know, what causes it, what cures it, potentially those things that need much bigger funding pots. And so we're really hoping we can kind of open some of them up to do some of that much larger scale research. Um Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Ford. That has been a, a really fascinating discussion. It's been really wonderful to learn a bit more about kind of surgical research and just, you know, the vast amount of research that's happening, as well as obviously what, what it's like for patients and how involved they are. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you once again for inviting me. It's been it's been fun. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to Not Just Any Cancer Series wherever you listen to your podcast and please do leave a review.